Welcome to Acton Line, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Gabriel Jaja, producer. Adam Smith once said, Every man, as long as he does not violate the laws of justice, is left perfectly free to pursue his own interest in his own way, and to bring both his industry and capital into competition with those of any other man. In this episode, we bring you a conversation with political scientist and scholar, Dr. Donald Devine, and Eric Cohn, Director of Communications here at the Acton Institute. Devine's new book, The Enduring Tension, Capitalism and the Moral Order, is a much-needed commentary on the sustaining nature of morality and the free market. If you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Act Online is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Dr. Donald Devine is the Grucock Senior Scholar at the Fund for American Studies. He served as President Ronald Reagan's Civil Service Director during the President's first term in office. Before and after his government service, Devine was an academic teaching 14 years as Associate Professor of Government and Politics at the University of Maryland and for a decade as a Professor of Western Civilization at Bellevue University. He is a columnist and author of 10 books, including his most recent, which we'll be discussing today, The Enduring Tension, Capitalism and the Moral Order. Don, welcome to Acton Line. Oh, thank you very much, Eric. So I've, I've borrowed this opening question from uh, Jonah Goldberg because uh, I had the chance to talk to him when his book came out. And I learned from that that uh, authors enjoy this as a first question. Don, what is your book about? <laughs> Well, it's about uh, moralizing capitalism. Uh, Capitalism today is under a great deal of strain. We have young people thinking socialism is wonderful. uh, And even many people uh, supporting capitalism uh, try to separate it from its moral values. This book argues that uh, capitalism can't last without its moral order in fact, no regime can last without its moral order. Even immoral ones have some kind of morality, quote unquote. Uh, so it's about that, but it's looking at history and philosophy. Uh, one of my uh, reviewers uh, said it's like uh, a whole uh, college course because uh, it deals with philosophy, history, political science, public administration, science. Um, and, and it is because I think this is a time to, to think about uh, serious things. Uh, I think kind of the right of center conservatism has kind of gotten too much into slogans and it's kind of a good time to sit back, think, and move away from slogans and, and try to think seriously about our history and what our country's all about, what we really want, and what's important and what isn't. Uh, so it's kind of a, a, a deep look at what uh, 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 made Western civilization really, not just America, but Western civilization. Certainly, 
Those of us at the Acton Institute are keen on the idea of the importance of the moral order for society. You know, we hear of the study of religion and liberty, and think that markets need um, people to act morally in order for them to work properly and serve people well. Do you, do you think that we are losing that moral order? And if you think so, why do you think that's happening? Well, we've taken a, a wrong move for the last century, really. Uh, We've moved away from capitalism, moved away from freedom, moved away from our moral order. Uh, that's because really one of the great Americans, the greatest uh, thinker since our founders, really, Woodrow Wilson, who we remember as a, a president mainly, but he was a great intellectual uh, and was president of Princeton <laughs> University, uh, had tremendous influence on American thinking. Uh, and he went to Europe and uh, as a graduate student, uh, and uh, he, he looked at Prussia especially, which was the dominant uh, force in Europe at the time. And he said, you know, Europe really works. Uh, look at, at the German societies. I mean, look what they have, greater educations in the United States. Uh, look at their governments. When they do something, they do something. Uh, uh, they don't just talk about it. When the chancellor and the, uh, the, the king make up their mind to do something, they do it. Then he came back, he thought about American uh, government, and he said the problem with American government uh, is it separates power rather than bringing power together to do good. And Woodrow Wilson uh, kind of convinced all of the intellectuals in America, that that was the problem, that the progressive solution was to rely on science and experts to do good. Uh, and to do that, you have to centralize power. Uh, and that's basically what we've been doing for the last century. Uh, uh, but I think right now we're at a crucial turning point. I think we're at the end of the progressive era. Uh, it's falling apart. And and President Biden is really, really interesting. He's putting together this enormous program at the nature of the, the New Deal or the Great Society uh, and throwing everything at uh, society from the old progressive uh, uh, rule book. Um, but it's not going to work. Nobody believes uh, centralized government bureaucracy works. Uh, that's kind of my thing, bureaucracy. Uh, and the fact is, it doesn't work. Centralization doesn't work. And based on uh, old theories of science, uh, I think it's Newtonian uh, universe uh, it's wound up like a clock. That isn't what science is. Uh, so we're at a critical turning uh, point. Uh, and again, it's a time for those who realize that progressivism doesn't work Markets are essential. Local governments are important. Private sector is important. Uh, religion's important. Uh, science isn't everything, uh, and especially science as they understand. So I think it's a, a critical time for conservatives to do some serious reading. Uh, and Wine isn't the only book on that, but I think it's one. I think it it goes into philosophy, history, political science, uh, and 
Uh, I think we need to look at all of those things and not just politics. Uh, good societies are much more than just government and politics. You said there that you believe we're coming to the end of the progressive era. I, I imagine that statement would get some pushback these days from people on the right who think that uh, the left, uh, if we want to call them progressives, uh, let's do that just for the sake of argument here, are ascendant and that uh, conservatism hasn't really conserved anything. Um, why do you think we're at the end of the progressive era? And if that's so, what kind of era do you think we're entering now? Well, uh, as far as where we're going, that's the tough one. Uh, I mean, right now, I think uh, what we have is after a century of progressivism, it's weakened all the things that made America great. Uh, my old boss, Ronald Reagan, uh, used to say the secret of America's success was federalism, uh, decentralizing, uh, uh, getting out of Washington, uh, getting close to where people are. Uh, and I think it's broken down uh, and the moral uh, toll has been enormous. Uh, I think it, 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 the, the progressive relies so much on central government uh, that when that fails, I think the rest fails, too. Now, when it happens, you ask the future. I don't know what the future is. That's why I want people who, who have the moral order, uh, which is still a majority, a great majority of Americans. It's not of the elite class. It's not of the, the media. It's not of the, the professional bureaucracy. Uh, but it is among the people uh, uh so I, I think it's going to be a great challenge, and that's why I think we have to look back even to prehistory to understand that human nature is very, very powerful, and it has evil and good sides of it. And, and we've got to understand that, uh, that we need all of that. And it took a long time in Western civilization to, to get uh, these great values, and we can go back to them. Ronald Reagan proved it for a while, and you know, 25 years basically following him, maybe in some ways still today, the progressives really are talking about now turning back from Reagan. Um, it's a challenge, and I don't think it's going to be an easy time, and that's why I think uh, people who uh, are more on the conservative side, uh, need to be prepared for it, need to be prepared for it intellectually. Uh, I think it's going to be a very challenging time because the left does control uh, means of communication. The universities, I used to be a professor. I couldn't get to be a professor today at a university. Uh, and the ones who aren't uh, progressive are cowed. They're afraid of losing their job reasonably. Uh, so this is going to be a great challenge, and I think that uh, we need to be aware of it. We have to realize that this took a long time to get to Western civilization, uh, that the idea of separating power is central to Western civilization. Uh, back in Europe, the Magna Carta, going back to St. Augustine or to St. Paul or Jesus or, or uh, uh the idea of a creator uh, making human beings something different. I mean, these are uh, different ideas, and, and we need to go back and enrich ourselves and remember what they are to prepare for. I think it would be a challenging time. It could be 
we get a great renewal of constitutional government and federalism in America, or it could be, it could get much worse. Uh, this is not all happy days, uh, but it's a time that we need to be prepared intellectually. And unfortunately, too much uh, uh, today, people aren't reading anything. And that's uh, a shame. Uh, back when I started, and I'm an old guy, Back when I started, almost everyone in the conservative so-called movement read books. Uh, uh, we had meetings. Uh, we would talk about books. Uh, I think uh, we need to get back and do some serious thinking because we're going to have some very challenging times. The full title of your book is The Enduring Tension, Capitalism and the Moral Order. Uh, how and why do you think capitalism and the sense of morality our intention with each other, and how do we how do we balance those things in not only our our philosophical minds, but into how we put those ideas into practice? Well, that's the whole challenge. I mean, this idea of tension is what makes Western civilization different. Um, the idea of tension goes back right into the the, the guts of Western civilization. Uh, a guy named Frank Meyer wrote a wonderful piece called uh, Western Civilization. And it, it, he shows just so how beautifully, and I try to reproduce that and, and go a little further, but uh, of how Western civilization, the whole idea of it is this challenge, and especially between freedom and tradition. Uh, Western civilization isn't libertarian and it isn't traditionalist, it's both. Uh, and I think that's what we need to, as we solve problems, we need to look at the idea uh, of we love freedom, we love tradition, and we need to balance them in a reasonable way. Uh, this tension is what it is about. We have to recognize that both sides of this are important. Traditionalists who reject Freedom are rejecting the, the basic uh, idea of their tradition, especially if they're Christians or, or Jews. I mean, the creator, imagine this, this creator allowed you to do against him, to go against him. I mean, uh, he gives you the freedom to disobey him. I mean, that you can't have freedom more uh, uh, profound than that. Uh, and and libertarians who believe the tradition is an important, uh, it just, this, this idea of freedom is very important is with one civilization, Western civilization. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a very rare thing. Uh, and, and if you don't seep into that tradition and, and carry out things that made it work, uh, uh, you can't make it work. Uh, this argument among conservative intellectuals today, it's a, either just freedom or just tradition. They're both wrong. <laughs> it's both. Uh, and, and how do you balance it? It's very difficult. That's why freedom has been so rare, why morality is always a catch-go. Uh, it, it, it's because you need both and you need to balance them. And that is not easy. Uh, but if we understand that's what it is, at least we can try to do it. In your book, you reference Joseph Schumpeter 
um, of course, he, the father of the idea of creative destruction. And we, we of course, see creative destruction all throughout the market. We see uh, how th- that force of efficiency uh, gets rid of bad, poorly managed companies, makes uh, a lot of products and services better that way. Um, to, again, invoke Jonah Goldberg from his recent book, uh, when he discusses Schumpeter, he puts it in the context of uh, society as well, that it can eat away at tradition, that we can have the creative destruction of traditions um, as well through that process. Do you, do you think that that process of creative destruction can erode traditions that are important? And how do we balance and maintain those against those uh, forces of erosion? Yeah, I, I quote Schumpeter a lot on that too. I mean, Yes, it surely can. I mean, that is the challenge in Western civilization, is how do you keep freedom without making it uh, uh, destructive? Uh, and, and it is a challenge. I mean, well, what's the, what's the alternative? The alternative is, you know, just have power. <laughs> and that's what most of the world does, or a lot of the world does. Anyway, Western civilization has seeped into every other civilization to some degree. Uh, but yes, certainly freedom can lead to immorality. Uh, uh, but freedom also is necessary to have a good society. And that's why the tension is there, why that term is so important. Uh, modern conservatism uh, ended up calling, uh, instead of... Uh, they called it fusionism rather than uh, attention, um, but it was actually named by a guy who was criticizing it, but it caught on. It's like Christianity. Christianity was uh, named by uh, non-Christians. The word capitalism comes from its great uh, opponent, Karl Marx. I mean, so this happens a lot, uh, uh, but it's our challenge in uh, uh, balancing that tension uh, is not easy. That's why freedom is not uh, all that popular in the world. Uh, it's a tough balance to keep. You mentioned fusionism. We recently had uh, Stephanie Slade from Reason Magazine on the podcast to discuss the feature piece that she'd written on fusionism, where she views it as a philosophical position, um, whereas I have historically more thought of it as a coalitional entity that it brought together uh, people with different first priorities uh, into a coalition that worked together towards uh, the furthering of the ends of of human freedom, largely juxtaposed against the the great evil of the Soviet Union. Do you think fusionism is a philosophical position that has a coherence of its own, or is it more of a question of strategic alliances? Well, you know, that that's a great question, and I know definitely well we're in a think tank group together, uh, not tank, but a meeting. Um, and when she wrote that, it's, she did it so well. I've been trying to deal with this for 40, 50 years. Uh, is both a fusionism of political coalition, all right, and a philosophical entity, uh, the problem is that uh, thinking of it just as a, a political coalition 
can send you off in different direction. And if you don't have someone that is a fusionist that is holding both of the value, you can't keep that together. You need some center that will keep that together. So it it is a separate philosophical position, and it's a, politi- a political uh the idea of a coalition between libertarians and traditionalists it actually goes to a, a professor named Moldowski, who, who I, I knew quite well dead now, but he, he wasn't even a Republican. Uh, I mean, uh, you can just see that's a rational coalition in politics. Uh, but Stephanie did it so well that it, it, it's, it, it's a separate philosophical position uh, And if some don't have the love for both, they can't stay together. Uh, So, I mean, Ronald Reagan was so much like that. I mean, Ronald Reagan understood this as a a philosophical position. In his first major meeting before the conservative uh, uh, political action conference, which was the biggest one, which he went to many times before he was president, he came together and he explained fusionism so well philosophically in that speech. And I, I for years I said, I, Ronald Reagan was so good. Everyone told me, no, no, no. This was one of his, his speech writers did it for him. Well, I went to uh, the major speech writers and I asked all of them, uh, how did you sneak this idea of fusion of synthesis is the word he used, which is even a more philosophical term. Uh, I said, how did you get that into a speech? Like they said, well, what do you mean uh, fusion? What do you mean synthesis? I mean, they, they didn't put it in Ronald Reagan did. Uh, uh, I mean, he understood it was a philosophy. That's why he could bring all sides in with them. Uh, uh, and the, the, all of the earlier uh, ones, even people that didn't call themselves like Frederick Hayek, uh, uh, he, he emphasized the importance uh, uh, of tradition. Uh, in fact, he said, you can't have freedom without tradition. He was a fusionist, even though probably they never even heard the term. Uh, and again, going back through history, the, 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 the Magna Carta or, or St. Augustine or, or St. Paul or Jesus or uh, the creator. I mean, both of these things are important uh, in that whole tradition and what makes Western civilization different from everything else. A little earlier, you referenced uh, the inclination towards power that we see on on the left today. And I'm remembering a story and I cannot remember, I may have been Claremont that put out a series of books um, a number of years ago. Uh, just on the general idea of what is conservatism and, and what is liberalism or progressivism. And in the What is Conservatism book, you had uh, pretty much what you would expect from, you know, conservative intellectuals. You you had uh, people who would defend, you know, the different legs of the stool, the different uh, parts of the fusionist coalition, um, markets as being incredibly important, tradition, religion being incredibly important. And in the book from the left, from the progressives, it was all essays on how to take back the White House. It was all an orientation towards how do we regain power. What I think is interesting right now is that we're seeing from the political right, from a lot of conservatives, 
that same kind of inclination towards power. Say the power of the state exists. It's a thing. It is the power to shape the country and maybe even the world in a way that we would like to see. Um, I think we also see that in conjunction with a lot of conservatives abandoning markets as uh, in a desire to just, well, we can have the government manage certain things. Why do you think so many conservatives, while markets and uh, free market economics has been so important for a long time, why do you think so many are abandoning markets right now? Power is the, the great attraction. All right. I mean, just give me power and I'm going to straighten the world out. Uh, I mean, it's a natural reaction to it. And why Western civilization was a minority. It was the uh, it's still a minority, uh, maybe even a minority among conservative intellectuals. I mean, sure. I mean, just give me the power and I'm great. And, you know, we're going to solve it. What drives me crazy, as Reagan said of the civil service uh, his first term, uh, uh, the fact is it doesn't work. Right? I, I don't know why I can't get that across in writing 10 books over the years. Uh, one of my chapters here is on it, too. I mean, it just doesn't work. And especially it doesn't work under our, our Constitution. Uh, it divides powers up. Uh, and that's why Wilson wanted to get, bring it all together and has gone a long way to bringing it together uh, with more and more power to the national government. I mean, the, the bureaucracy, and forget about Don Devine, who am I? Uh, talk about uh, uh, Paul White, uh, professor, uh, good uh, progressive professor, writes uh, the major uh, uh, bureaucratic studies for the Brookings Institution, the one who started the progressive. The, uh, what does he say? He says this can't work. I mean, he says there are 70 levels of bureaucracy between the secretary at the top of the, uh, the agency all the way down to meeting real people on the street uh, out in the, the countryside. And you can't communicate through those different levels. I don't think it's that, even that many levels. Let's say 50 levels. I mean, yeah, at each level, you have a group of people who can't be fired, who all get related, uh, rated pretty much the same. Uh, their jobs are, are as safe as anything in the world. Uh, and they think they understand this a lot better than the secretary at the top. And in some ways they may. Well, they put their ideas going down that chain. The, the great uh, economist wrote a wonderful book called Bureaucracy, published by Yale University Press uh, 60 years ago. Ludwig von Mises uh, uh, just showed so clearly how a public sector bureaucracy is different from a private sector bureaucracy. Uh, in the private sector, you can go down 50 degrees, although they rarely go down 50 levels. Uh, uh, all you have to do is ask one question. Are you making a profit or not? If you're not making a profit, we get rid of you or change you. Uh, in the public sector, you have no measure like that. The only thing is a performance appraisal system that everybody gets pretty much the same rating as it. And everybody knows that you kind of just check off the boxes. Uh, 
It doesn't work. Uh, you need to, as again, Reagan said, federalism is the secret here. You have to decentralize that power. And in my book, I try to argue you have to decentralize way below states, way below even counties. Most counties in America, not most of them, but most of the major ones, uh, they have bureaucratic messes too. You've got to get down to cities and towns. And uh, we've stopped creating towns. There are fewer per capita local governments today by far than there were 40, 50 years ago. Uh, uh, we need to decentralize cities, these monstrosities. Uh, uh, we have areas within all of our major cities that uh, people are frightened to walk in. Uh, we need to give the local people control, uh, even down to neighborhoods. Uh, 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 there are all kinds of ideas out there that we don't use. A great uh, economist uh, came up with this idea of having a market of local governments. That's the right way to think of local governments. It's a market by having many of them uh, and giving choice between them. And, and if they're small, it's easy to move between the, uh, them. Uh, these are all ideas uh, that are important in our history and philosophy. Uh, Frederick Hayek, the uh, uh, Edmund Burke and uh, Russell Kirk. Uh, I mean, we tried to make this argument that, you know, Russell Kirk wasn't a fusion. Russell Kirk was a fusionist. I mean, it's so clear. Uh, uh, like one of the conservative organizations has put up uh, one of his old essays that where it's just clear that he uses the, the term tension uh, to explain what it's about in the last sentence. Uh, I mean, we, we were so lucky to have those great people uh, after World War II who came up with these ideas uh, uh, and got us back thinking. I mean, conservatives were dead intellectually for 40 or 50 years. They were so dominated by uh, Woodrow Wilson and uh, his uh, academic following. Uh, when I went to graduate school, uh, the main book in political science was the thesis was the end of ideology was called, which means we're all progressives. There's nobody else around. And it was true. Hayek comes along and, and writes an intellectual book uh, in England. Uh, he was an Austrian, had to leave and uh, uh, get away from the Nazis. Uh, he writes a book. Uh, the, the publisher of the biggest magazine in America at the time, Reader's Digest, uh, publishes it in a bridge uh, form and in different different issues. Uh, uh, it gets out there. Ronald Reagan reads it. Uh, William Buckley, the National Review, reads it. Uh, everybody reads it. Uh, it turns uh, Frank Meyer, one of the intellectual leaders of the whole fusionist movement, I'm a communist into a, a capitalist uh, believer in freedom. Um, I mean, we were so lucky, and and we need that now. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, there is this debate. This is good. We need this debate. I just don't see how, if we're going to uh, bring this back, uh, we can't see that we need both sides of the situations. And life is not simple. 
the whole idea that you have one first principle and everything uh, falls from it uh, is just not so. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, epistemology uh, uh, doesn't work that way. Uh, life is so complex. That's the real problem with socialism and progressivism uh, and most isms. Uh, uh, they don't deal with the complexity of human nature. It's so complex. Uh, Hayek used the analogy that there are more intercortical interactions in one person's mind than there are atoms in the solar system. <laughs> it's just a whole different thing when you're dealing with human beings. Uh, and we've gotten too far away from these very important things. Uh, and religion is part of it, but they, you don't even have to be deeply religious. Uh, uh, I mean, deist, of course, except a, a, a creator. Uh, I mean, without a creator, nothing can make any sense. Uh, uh, these ideas, these are the important ones. Uh, and I was so lucky to be a youngster back in those days and learning from those giants. Uh, um, uh, but now we need a new generation. <laughs> and then too late for me. <laughs> Let's read my book before that. <laughs> Don, I want to close on uh, a more personal question. I recently had an opportunity to interview Jason Riley, a journalist from the Wall Street Journal, who has a new film out about the life of Thomas Sowell. And in there, uh, Soul tells a story about how he was, even after taking Milton Friedman's course at the University of Chicago, was still a Marxist. And he gets a summer job at the Department of Labor. And one summer at the Department of Labor where he comes up with what he thinks is a great way for to make things more efficient. And he presents it to his superiors and they're horrified because it could threaten their position and their importance within that bureaucracy. And it said it took him just one summer working at the Department of Labor to disabuse him of the idea that Marxism could work. You ran really the, you know, the office of personnel. You, you ran in a very important office in the Reagan administration. What was the thing that most surprised you uh, coming into that job than once you got in there, you learned that really surprised you? Uh, that's a great story. Uh, I mean, that's been my frustration for 50 years. I mean, it doesn't work. I mean, it just doesn't work. It can't work. It, it has no mechanism. We have, I mean, Reagan said he's cutting the size of government, not primarily to save money, but to make, well, to have more freedom, but also to make government work better. If it had fewer things to do, it could concentrate on those few things and try to do them better. I don't know that, that I was surprised uh, that how, how frightened political appointees were to do anything. Everything is against doing anything. In fact, I used to give lectures uh, uh, with the Heritage Society, the new coming, incoming political appointees. And I say, if you want to be a success in government, do nothing. All right? Uh, if you do nothing, you're not going to get in trouble. And just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the former uh, Attorney General Barr 
uh, was interviewed in the Wall Street Journal. And it was just a little piece nobody probably ever mentioned. But in the middle of the article, he, he says uh, how hard it is for a political appointee to do anything in government uh, because uh, if you don't do anything, you can't get in trouble. I mean, uh, that is the hardest thing to do that that nobody, and it's not just a political appointee, nobody wants to do anything to get in trouble. And, and as the government has become more powerful, there are more and more easy ways to pick on people. Uh, I mean, I, I did a lot when I was in government. Uh, I mean, uh, they say that I got... The Office of Management and Budget that hated me because I always was cutting more than they wanted to. Uh, they had to admit that I saved uh, over six billion dollars, which in today's money is like sixty or seventy billion dollars uh, by cutting uh, benefits. Uh, but I, I was kind of crazy. I mean, I was willing to get in trouble. In fact. I kind of liked getting in trouble uh, and enjoyed it. And, and when we went there, when the Reagan administration went out of government uh, and the George H.W. Uh, Bush uh, came in, uh, their, their personnel director was uh, asked, are you going to keep doing what Reagan tried to do is bring in ideological conservatives? And he says, we're not here for ideology. We're here to build resumes. I mean, that's what it, it's about here. Why Reagan was so much more successful than everybody else, because he did have a bunch of people like me. Most of us have gotten trouble in some way or another. You need people who, who really believe in philosophy in order to get anything done. And it's much tougher today. I won't minimize how tough it is today. But it's all because we put so much power up there and it's not responsible power. And it just, we got to break it up and move it back to the low. You look, what's the greatest challenge of our modern time? It was this, uh, this crazy virus running around. Uh, what did we do? Even the, the, the biggest experts realized you had to decentralize this out to the states and the states realized you had to, the counties were different. Uh, we had to decentralize. If you tried to run that from the top to do everything, it would have been impossible. Even Biden, he comes in promising he's going to do that. He's not doing it. He can't do it. He issued a thing tomorrow. Oh, you got to have it done by the end of April. Anybody out in the field say, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, I mean, it's so obvious that this doesn't work the way the kind of the progressive thinks it does. You say something and it happens. No, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the Trump administration gets a lot of difficulty. But what they did was smart. They decentralized that and kept one function, which was to take away regulations, which are killing uh, society, take them away from the drug companies so they could come up with a, a solution uh, to the problem before the end of the year. All the media, all the great experts, when uh, Trump said they all laughed, that can't be possibly done by uh, the end of the year. Well, it was, all right? Uh, to me, that's the perfect proof. It can't work. And, and President Biden go up there and say all these things and want to throw trillions of dollars at it. It's not going to work. 
Well, we're going to have an economic result, and it isn't going to be nice. <laughs> we're going to have a, a recession, a tough recession, probably in the next two years, certainly in the next four years. Uh, it's going to be so obvious to everybody that there's a possibility that this could be our 1965. The liberals had two-thirds or so in both houses of Congress and the presidency. Uh, they were stalemated for a whole generation uh, and then threw everything in then, and all those programs are now in trouble. We can't pay for them uh, and it's taken so much out of society. Uh, even the critic of capitalism, uh, like Pope Francis, uh, says welfare isn't enough. You got to give people a job. They got to have some feel, and just throwing more money at people to keep them from working, it's creating more problems. It isn't solving the problems. Uh, but anyway, that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> and we thank you for it. Dr. Donald Devine is the Grucock Senior Scholar at the Fund for American Studies and the author of his most recent book, The Enduring Tension, Capitalism and the Moral Order. Don, thank you so much for joining us today on Act in Line. Thank you for having me. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you like to hear more of, including the kinds of topics you're interested in most. If you have comments, feedback, or ideas for a show topic or interesting guest, you can email our team at actinline at actin.org. Until next week, for Actinline, I'm Gabriel Zsa. Zsa.